This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit LambdaLegal.org. That's LambdaLegal.org. Oh, it's Behind the Bastards again, the podcast that is every week, but is also this week and will be the next week until the heat death of the universe or the end of my contract. This is a podcast where we talk about the worst people in all of history. And folks, we got a banger for you this week. And to help me deliver, give birth to this banger, the midwife of of several hours of, of, of Russian history. Jeff May! Yeah, consider me a doula right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, That's I'm right. doing it for you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gonna get your hands up in there? Gonna get all doula Really get in there. Just mm-hmm. get all the placenta mm-hmm. of information mm-hmm. all over. We my... do male placenta to every one of our guests. Don't ask where it comes from. That's I not... don't. No. It's, I, t- I take it from my vitality. Mm-hmm. It is. One of my favorite moments traveling was in Japan, going to like a pharmacy to get contact solution and stumbling onto an entire aisle of placenta based mm-hmm. products, mostly horse. Um, but I, I had not been aware that it was used for that up until that point. It was a fun moment. How are you going to get strong, Jeff? Robert? How are you going to yeah, get exactly. strong if you're not exactly. taking horse placenta to get you going? <laughs> That's why I run so fast. Just, yeah, I, I run like, you know, 45 miles an hour when I run. <laughs> now, Jeff, uh, Jeff May, you are a stand-up comedian. You are also a podcaster. Um, you do a podcast on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. Uh, Friends of the Pods, Tom and Dave have both also been on the show, where you mm-hmm. talk about uh, Batman. Tom and Jeff yeah. watch Batman. Yes, uh, You also have the Jeff May Has Cool Friends podcast. Yeah, I think I Jeff got has cool title, friends, right? yeah. Jeff has cool friends. Um, anything else you want to plug up here at the top? Yeah, I also do a show called You don't even like sports with adam todd brown uh Mm -hmm. sports podcast for people that hate sports um and which is most of my fan base because i am a professional nerd 
specifically as <laughs> yes. well as uh you have a batman podcast i do well it's funny too because jeff has cool friends used to be a corporate podcast for a big nerdy company and mm-hmm. then we we split up and i was just like well i'm just gonna change the name and keep doing what i was doing mm-hmm. so. well jeff speaking of what you were doing were you having a good day up until this point no, 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 no. Okay, not, okay. Not, since, well, then not good. for two years. That's, that's good, because we're going to talk about somebody really unpleasant. How do, you, how do you feel about czars? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you knew this about me, but I am, uh, before I got into mm-hmm. stand-up and, and th- this, I was a uh, teacher. I taught mm-hmm. world history, including Russian history. Uh, and, uh, buddy, let me tell you, there's a few of them that... <laughs> Some messes. Big oof. <laughs> yeah. You got a favorite czar or a least favorite? I mean, I I would say that if we're if we're going through like the entire history of up since the inception of the word czar up mm-hmm. towards Nicholas II, I got to be honest, Peter the Great is fascinating to me. He was pretty uh, great, yeah. Because people were like, this man is a seven foot tall giant monster that toured mm-hmm. Europe and came back and decided to just shave everyone's beards or tax them on it, and mm-hmm. that's just wild to me. What a life. Yeah. <laughs> Peter the Great's a fun one. We're not talking about a fun one today, Jeff. We're talking think so. about the least impressive of the czars, Nicholas II. Oh, ooh, yeah. 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 And it's So it's one of those things like uh, there's this weird thing Americans kind of have with royalty sometimes, right? The there's a lot of Americans who love the British royal family if that's your thing like whatever. Um there's a weird number of Americans throughout history who've gotten really obsessed with the Romanovs since, you know, they were all killed by the Bolsheviks, right? There's like movies and Well, that's oh, really what it comes down yeah. to, right? It's like Anastasia. Yeah, and you're right. Ah, like, oh, they got a bad rap. And, and they do, it's one of those things where there's this attitude people have. Obviously, the kids got a bad rap, right? Kids never deserve to be machine, well, gunned down by a variety of forms in a basement. That's always bad. Um, but Nicholas and uh, Alexandra get, who's the, the czar in the czarina, get a lot of like slack from people. They're, they're nearly always portrayed, even when like they're shown to be incompetent. You can't really show Nicholas as being anything but incompetent. Um, but you know, like, well, he was a good man. He loved his wife and his kids. He was, you know, it, he, he was, you know, broken down by the weight of this impossible job. And like, he was a terrible person. <laughs> he was I love, a monster. I love when yeah. people are like, he's a good person. He loves his family. It's like, yeah. that is not the criteria for yeah. being a good person. I hate to yeah. break it to you, but that's just biology. At yeah. That point a lot of people love their families in manned yeah. concentration camps. There's pictures of them with their kids outside Auschwitz. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, 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 you know like, like they're at Fenway, you know, but instead it's just a horrible crap. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, he's like, He's he gets way more slack than he deserves. And this is going to be an episode about trying to put him in his proper context, because I think if you see Nicholas II and Alexandra accurately, they're like Bashar al-Assad. They're like Hitler. They're like like they're they're real bad people who kill a lot of folks to stay in power. They yeah, there's a reason that they finished the way they did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like not for nothing. I think we yeah. put Rasputin, we give, a, we were like, well, Rasputin was bad mm-hmm. and he victimized these people. So, yeah. And it's one of those things where like, if you actually read the history, Rasputin is not, not the most objectionable person. And in fact, there's times when he's the guy being like, boy, seems like y'all are pretty anti-Semitic. I'm not down with that. <laughs> it's, it, it, this is, I have a feeling because obviously it's been a while. I've, I've been retired for almost a decade now mm-hmm. and I haven't been in college in 20 years. But uh, at this point in time, like 
it seems like a story that's not going to have a lot of heroes in it. No, no, um, not none at all, really. <laughs> you know, um, and I think that's that is really the overarching story when we talk about like the murder of the entire Romanov family. When we talk about the tragedies that came in the Russian Civil War and the millions that died in that, um, part of why everything was so ugly and so violent was that the system that the Romanovs perfected over the course of generations was inherently brutalizing. And when it collapsed, there was nowhere for things to go, but really badly. I mean, that's, yep. that's Russia. That's <laughs> Russia, baby. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but there's so many, there's so much retroactive, like, well, they did what they could. It's yeah, like, they that's did not what, what you could, say you about know? Stalin. He's like, things were different. It was bad time. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Uh, Ivan IV had to fry people on giant frying pan. That's just yeah. what you do when you have power. He's intense part of world. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. He did an ex Siberia. Granted, yeah. he killed many people there, but uh, he did an exit. Yeah. And it, you do have, when you go over to that part of the world and have conversations with people, they are often very phlegmatic like that, where it's like, you know, it was a rough time. <laughs> Everyone did what they could. Yeah, we, we tried to do what we want, but, uh, you know, things are sometimes your ruler cut your head off there's nothing yeah. you can do about that you just move forward that's mm -hmm. why all like russian literature is so depressing yeah <laughs> like all the happiest stories are like and then he died in prison isn't that nice yeah <laughs> it finally was over yeah. <laughs> so um i think we need to start by noting that because number one the monarchy thankfully has has mostly passed um although it's getting its little resurgence in some areas um people tend to forget how successful monarchism was in a lot of cases and how successful the romanov version of monarchism was this is by by any reasonable if you're looking at this as a historian by any reasonable judgment of you know success the romanov dominated monarchy in russia was one of the most successful governments in human history the romanov family came to power in 1613 uh, after a civil war and like 10 years of, of fighting and stuff and the death of the previous czar and they stayed in power for more than 300 years that's longer than the united states has existed this one family ruled russia um while while the Romanovs were in charge of the Russian Empire, it grew consistently by an average of 55 square miles per day, 20,000 miles per year. By the end of the 1800s and the events of the story we're talking about this week, the Russian Empire ruled one sixth of the landmass of planet Earth. Um, they were good at this. <laughs> nah. I like how they're basically like you can describe their monarchy like the blob. Yeah, I mean, people are just like, and then within three months, look at what we've predicted. It's like that scene in the thing where they use the Apple IIe to show you yeah. what's going to happen to the world. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what the Romanovs were doing for like a couple of centuries without a whole lot of pushback. That was effective, you know. Yeah. You get the your moments. There's always you know military successes and reversals, but like they really kept chugging along. And the benefit that they always have is that like, yeah, their military is usually not the best uh, or the most easiest to maneuver into place and their their navy you know waxes and wanes in its efficacy but there's just so much russia that that you never want to start a fight with them <laughs> no you never get in a land war in asia i think we've yeah. learned that very specifically yeah um, uh now yeah yeah but before they came to power czar was more or less before the romanovs um czar was just kind of an interchangeable word for king right like it didn't being a czar wasn't wildly different than being a king in a lot of other parts of like the feudalist europe in that period well, it, but it means caesar right 
Yeah, it, it comes from Caesar, same root word as Kaiser, right? Both Kaiser and Czar come from Caesar, which is you want to talk about having an influence on history. That used to just be a family. Like, that's a last name that became our byword for billions of people for king. <laughs> I mean, that's that's influence right there. That's that's influence, baby. Yeah, that's like um, branding. That's like Jordan's. Yeah. And actually, you could say Czar has kind of had its own journey like that, because like, especially I think people say it less now, but really in like the 80s and early 90s, constantly you would hear like, oh, the president has appointed a drug czar, you know, someone to like oversee the specific aspect of the government or a, a, a trade gap czar or whatever. Um, so it, it, you know, the 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 Romanovs are really responsible for that, because by the modern era, being a czar is not like being a king. Uh, kings in most of Europe, there's constitutional monarchies, there's there's limits on their power. The nobles will hold even in a lot of areas where there's not really democracy. It's still ceremonial because the nobles are the ones in charge and the king is more of a, a figurehead. Um, and, and it's not that way with the czars. And it they are really um, they're totalitarian rulers in a way that very few governments in history have ever really been. The czar is in the late 1800s and early 1900s, very close to an absolute autocrat. Um, that means no real checks on their power, no real influence from the people. This starts to change in Nicholas's period, but um, czars maintain total power long after pretty much every other crowned head of Europe has been either turned into a figurehead or reduced to just another organ of the government. And that's that's significant. That says a lot about what the Romanov family valued, that they maintained that kind of absolute power. Um, you could probably argue that Russian, that czarism was kind of the most controlling sort of feudalism practiced on the largest scale, at least in Europe. Um, and you can make a case for worldwide because, again, it's a sixth of the world's landmass. For most of the history that the Romanovs are in charge, the vast majority of people in Russia are serfs. They're pretty close to slaves. They are bound to the land. They are kind of the property of the noble that controls that land. Um, and the way the whole system works is the nobles maintain the peace in their little area, and they pay taxes to the czar. And in exchange, the czar uses those taxes to build an army, to take more land, to exercise more power, and to maintain this absolute structure. So the czar lets the nobles have total control over their little area, and in exchange, he's the absolute monarch of the entire country. It's like an MLM uh, scheme yeah it is a lot i mean yeah feudalism absolutely is right oh I, when i used to teach feudalism I, I used to teach it based on like the the kids working their desks i was like that you're the serf this is your plot of land you have to work yep. i am your noble i have a noble my principal that i have to answer to and then he has a superintendent that he has to answer to and it all kind of like you know it's it's all it's all a similar structure to to most things when you really yeah. break down what feudalism is yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, we could talk a lot about the way our system works. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, but this is obviously a more intense version because you don't have you don't have you don't have the ability to like move around. Um, and this is one of those things that works pretty well when kind of everybody's doing it. Um, as things modernize, you suddenly have this problem of like, well, how do you industrialize if somebody is a part of the land that they live on, as opposed to an individual who could move to a city and get training to be a machinist or
Um, and in fact, oftentimes when czars were overthrown or killed, and these are Romanov czars we're talking about, it wasn't because they'd been super brutal. It was because they had used a mix of brutality and like liberalizing things. So they had given people some power and then not liked what they did with it and like tried to crack down. And that often leads to like the kind of upset that gets a czar killed. Um, it's not Simon Montefiore, who is a, a, a historian who wrote a great book called The Romanovs, um, describes it as like a, the problem a lot of czars have is not being consistent harsh right um that's the thing that'll get you killed as a czar and that's the thing when you're a kid if you're going to inherit the romanov dynasty that's what's drilled into your head throughout childhood is you have to be consistently harsh um and it's a dangerous gig six of the last 12 romanov czars are assassinated in office um that's like 50 50 though that's, that's like, like not, yeah that's that's not that bad you know yeah like i feel like i could make it through you know yeah i could i feel like i could have been a great czar Oh, I bet I, I would have been. Yeah, I know. I would have been killed. Yeah, I, I don't think that doesn't I mean you're not a great czar. I'm pretty chill. Yeah. So like, you know, I'd be like, ah, you guys can do the. Oh, you're going to kill me. OK, yeah, I guess I saw this. Should have seen this one coming. Robert, if the way I play Robert, video games with what? confidence, not a job for you. <laughs> I think I'd be a great czar. I do the, not. The key again is just <laughs> consistent brutality. Yeah. Sophie would be better. Uh, usually when czars were assassinated, in fact, in all of the times czars were assassinated up to the modern period, it's never the peasants, right? There's not, the, you don't have successful peasant revolutions in Russia. Um, like not during the time the Romanovs are in power. It's the noble, it's the nobility who murders them. Like it's someone, some czar does something that pisses off these nobles that are also powerful and they kill the czar and another czar winds up in charge, you know? T tale as old as time. That's it. Yeah. That's like that happens every time you see some kind of assassination. It's very rare that somebody bumps into an archduke or, you know, successfully breaks through the walls of the imperial palace or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's not, not, yeah. not counting, you know, recent events in American history. Yeah. That's a very yeah, rare situation yeah. that the populace will have access to people at that level. Yeah, you do not. Um, and in fact, part of why czars are actually really tend to be, at least most historians tend to think that the czars were beloved generally by the peasants. And this is because of the distance they have. It's because the peasants don't ever get to see the czar, really. Uh, they referred to him as the, lither, the little father. Um, God is, you know, the big father. Um, and he was kind of this benevolent but almost ethereal force because the nobles who ruled them directly were the ones they had issues with, right? That's kind of the brilliance of this system. All the peasants are going to hate the noble who's telling them what to do, but the czar, like, you never see that motherfucker. Like, he doesn't know what's going on, it's right? He, he loves us. Bad cop. You know, yeah. I would make life easier for you, but you know, the nobles, they're not yeah. going to, you know, they got to do their thing and I'm, I try to be hands off, you know. Yeah. You, you actually hear this story if you read you know, people talking about like like kind of political discontent within Nazi Germany. A lot of Nazis would when when members of the Nazi high command would do shit that like even Nazis thought was fucked up. They'd be like, well, Hitler must not know about this. Right. Like he wouldn't do this to us. He must just not be aware of what's going on. <laughs> Classic good guy Hitler. You oh, know? Hitler. But he me? just got flummoxed no, by bureaucracy again. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just a good guy. I'm doing I've been painting this whole time. Just Hitler fumbling with papers like Chevy Chase at his desk. Yeah, I'm just playing with my my good German Shepherd uh, puppy here. Yeah. Why would I be doing anything evil? The Holovat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's this very common phrase among the peasantry um, that is, uh, "The czar is good, the nobles are wicked." Right. So 
he is he is like beloved often at least that's what you're not getting gallops not rolling through the russian steps and being like how do you feel about this right there's i think and i i do tend to think that this is so consistent i'm not going to obviously i'm not going to second guess a bunch of historians who write stuff like this but it's also consistent enough that i think well the czar believed this and maybe that's why that went down in history but maybe a lot of peasants would have been like well actually fuck that dude (laughs) yeah it's definitely you you definitely see the cult of personality in situations like that where you where you see you know the person that's unattainable up at the top yeah they're great mm-hmm. he's the champion and the people yeah. that i actually have to deal with are assholes yeah and part of why i do think this is probably still broadly accurate is that you see this today right you see a lot of like conservatives who will be like well i don't like this thing that happened under trump but i don't like i like trump and like he probably just like couldn't do anything about this you know um it's just how human beings work you know yeah. like russian serfs and americans in kentucky or or california are all the same people basically they're just in different circumstances yeah if you're not um, at the table you don't know what's happening at the table right and it's easy to just pretend that this guy that you've been conditioned to like by a shitload of propaganda and the czar has a lot of propaganda it's very easy to just be like oh he's like god you know like i don't have to think about him as a person because he's not a person you know he's this like semi-divine figure and the czar really is they would not say it that way the czars did not pretend to be divine but they are chosen by god like that's the whole thing about the czar they are picked by god to absolutely rule russia and so there's this attitude that like if you question the czar or if people want to have input in their own ruling that is satanic because god has set down this this system obviously this happens other parts of the world you know the mandate of heaven yada 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 um, this is not the only time this sort of thing happens. But what's unique kind of about Russia is that up until the, the modern era, the, the czar is owns everything in Russia. He is the personal owner of basically a sixth of the world's landmass. Like we can talk about who the richest person in history was. It's almost certainly whatever the last czar was, because he was the personal owner of all of Russia, effectively. Um, like. It doesn't get much wealthier than that. Uh, Jeff Bezos doesn't ha- can't pretend to that shit. No. Um, and yeah. like, well, wealthy enough that when they tried to gun down the czar's family, it was it took a ton of bullets and a ton of time because people bullets kept getting stopped by all of the diamonds sewn into their clothing. They removed 17 pounds of diamonds from from the dead Romanov family. Um 17 pounds they could have done better they could have done better that's just what they could get out of the palace you know like that's how fucking rich these people are um yeah and so this is a really totalitarian system um and, and probably the most totalitarian system could be in an era before modern technology and being the center of that as the czar like fucks with your head and i, I want to read a quote from the book the romanovs by simon montfior which describes kind of how what this does to a person Then this is him kind of giving a broad overview of czarism. All of the monarchs were dutiful and hardworking, and most were charismatic, intelligent, and competent. Yet the position was so daunting for the normal mortal that no one sought the throne anymore. It was a burden that had ceased to be enjoyable. How can a single man manage to govern Russia and correct its abuses? Asked the future Alexander I. This would be impossible not only for a man of ordinary abilities like me, but even for a genius. He fantasized about running off to live on a farm by the Rhine. His successors were all terrified of the crown and avoided it if they could. Yet when they were handed the throne, they had to fight to stay alive. So like, the this Matrix. is not 
Yeah, it's not good to be the king. Like, it really is not. All It's great to be a noble. It's great to be, like, the younger brother of the czar or whatever. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, there's a lot, like, those guys get up to some shit and exercise a lot of power. But being the czar, kind of, especially in the last hundred years of the Romanov monarchy, is a fucking trash gig. Yeah, um, some could say heavy is the head that wears the crown. I yeah. just created. I just did you just invent that? that? That's yeah, good. No, that's, you should that's patent my, that those shit. Those are my words. You can quote me on that. We one. could we we could turn that into like a soap brand. Yeah, don't Google yeah. it. Just just, yeah. just take my word for it. Don't Google anything in this show, as a rule. Um, yeah, that's we so are yeah. the Google. Yeah, yeah, we we did it for you. You don't need to learn anymore than what we give you. That's part of what makes it a good cult. Um, you know what else is a good cult, Jeff? The cult of personality? Well, that is pretty good cult. But the cult of the products and services that support this podcast all have cult followings, especially the Washington State Highway Patrol. Oh, hell. Real oh, hell yeah. culty motherfuckers there. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Oh, we're back. So, uh um, I got to get I got to involve myself in all those things. Yeah, yeah. It's I good. joined the it, cult of all of those sponsors. <laughs> so the thing to th- keep in mind when we're talking about the czar is that this is a job people hate. It is a job that like destroys you over time. It it's an incredible amount of like effort and labor you have to do. You're the head of the church effectively, you're the head of the military, you're the head of state. Like you're kind of the pope and the the commander in chief um and like all of Congress at the same time. And think about like like all of our presidents, even the really, really bad ones, uh, think of like what eight years in office does to them, how much yeah. they age. Most czars rule more than 20 years. Like, the, like you're like out of your mind by the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that, 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 that has to be just so like, try doing two things. Yeah. When you're, when it was like, when I, when I started moving more to podcasting, I'm like, well, stand up is going to have to take a huge step back. And those are both easy jobs. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, I can't do what? Imagine if you had to do stand-up podcasting and reform the Russian military uh, while leading every major state religious service every single year. I mean, I feel like I could do that. I do feel like you could do that. Um, <clears throat> That's where my Especially given your experience uh, reforming national militaries. Jeff, a lot of people don't know this. You're the guy who reformed the El Salvadorian military. Yeah, you know, I don't like to brag, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's just like it's a side gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody needs, like, stand-up doesn't pay all the bills. Every now and then you got to go, like, overseas and, you know, use a lot of U.S. aid money to arm paramilitaries. It's just what, you know. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very Jeff of Arabia of, uh, existence yeah. that I'm ex- yeah. uh, having over here, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the thing about this, as, like, fucked up as this is, the system works pretty good for like 250 years or so um like tale as old as time tale as old as time right yeah we're we're dealing with that right now this form of government works pretty good for up to 300 years yeah up to but not past (laughs) never past when 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 the czarist system really starts to show its age in a calamitous way is the crimean war which happens in like the 1850s and this is a battle this is some people will say this is kind of like the first world war in some ways there's like five or six wars people say are the first world war you know um but this is like this is basically everybody and fighting russia um, and it's like Russia trying to take the Crimea, which they took recently from Ukraine, but we're trying to take it back then. And like Turkey gets involved and the British get involved and the French get involved. Um, I think there's Austrians up in that bitch. Like it's this whole fucking thing. Um, and it doesn't go really well for Russia. It's, it's a fucking disaster for Russia. And a big part of why is that their army is hideously outdated, not just like their guns aren't modern. Um, they don't have an advanced rail system in the country. So, and they don't have like their Navy isn't as, as nimble 
nimble as it needs to be. So everyone's needs, running circles around him. You know? Who needs a rail system? They're such a compact and tight, tight yeah, region. Yeah, there's so little Russia. Why would you need rails? It's a walking town, you know? <laughs> yeah. why, why do we need that's that? What, that's what everyone says about Russia, the smallest country. Yeah. <laughs> There's five whole sixth of the rest of the world that's not Russia. Come on. Yeah. yeah. It's a, one is the smallest number. That's right. And it one is the sixth is number. less than one. Mm-hmm. So. So this 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 is a fucking shit show for Russia. Um, they kind of get their butts kicked. Uh, there's also a pretty good poem that comes out of it. Charge of the Light Brigade, which which, you know. You, you can you can like or see as problematic depending on how you feel about men charging into lines of guns on horseback. I think it's rad and we should do more of it. But other When's people have from? different opinions. Crimean War. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think we can give problematic a bit of a a, a bit of a push on something written <laughs> 200 <laughs> yeah. years ago. Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a uh, Russia gets its butt kicked and like that bums everybody out in Russia. Um, and so there's this big drive to modernize. Right. Every it's it's you're kind of made aware of how flawed the whole system is. And so Russia really rapidly industrializes. And they do this by going hideously into debt to a bunch of Western nations. And the czar who takes another command, tale as old as time. For another Russia. tale <laughs> as old as time. Right. Yeah. Everybody does this shit. Um, and the czar who takes charge during this period, he actually comes to power like in the last year of the Crimean War, 1855. This czar is a guy named Alexander II, and he's Nicholas's grandpa. He's the grandfather of the last czar. Um, So he walks out of that war dedicated to reforming things, and he's like a bold dude. This is not one of those like Joe Biden kind of nothing will fundamentally change guys. Um, Alexander II is a very courageous person because it is not easy to make big reforms in Russia. Um, And spoilers, it doesn't end well for him. (laughs) No, no, there's always there's always there's always people pushing back. Generally, half the time it's the Orthodox Church. Yeah, that pushes back and they have a lot of influence as well. And then half the time it's the nobility. Yeah. And he fights with all of that, but that's actually not who's going to wind up being his undoing. Um, So uh, his number one, Alexander II's number one claim to fame, the biggest thing that he does, and this is a pretty titanic change, is he abolishes serfdom in 1861. Um, So the start of the U.S. Civil War is when Russia decides every single person basically in the country is no longer part of the land that someone else owns. Um, So that's a good move, I would say. Do you think somebody's like, uh, there's something going on over in the United States. Seems about like this goes badly. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't oh boy. go the way. It doesn't say something about house divided. Very ugly president has big problems over there. <laughs> Long beard though. We have complex yeah. history good, with beard. Good, good Russian beard on that guy. And he wrestles. Mm-hmm. That is good. Which is also very Russian. Yes. Um, so obviously abolishing serfdom, like every other massive social change in every other country in history, is not like a super even process. It's not like one day everything's different. You know, we talk about this somewhat in our two-parter on Nestor Machno. It's it's a messy thing. It's a really big change. Um, but it does lead to like enormous, unthinkable social change. Everything that happens in the Soviet Union is possible in part because serfdom starts being a thing, right? That's why Russia is able to industrialize. It's why the develop a proletariat it's why everything else that happens happens you know um and alexander becomes known as the czar liberator for for freeing the serfs um so a lot of people feel pretty good about czar alexander the second a lot of peasants feel pretty good about this dude but not all of them he is not popular everywhere particularly among the kind of this is when russia is starting to have a socialist movement and all pretty much all these early socialists are like 
rich or nobles, right? Like that's a lot of this early period of like Russian socialism is guys who are like very highly born because that's who has access to like education and gets to read books and stuff, you know? Um, Not a lot of people, like a lot of peasants aren't coming into contact with the communist manifesto in 1850, you know, whatever. um, Or Really? I'm sorry, but my uncle would disagree. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So Alexander, uh, yeah, so uh, the socialists really don't like uh, Alexander II because they see fundamentally his reforms are conservative. He's freed the serfs, but he's done it to maintain this system of absolute uh, autocracy. He just wants to have a government that a country that works a little bit better, but he doesn't want to upend any of the social or class relationships. Um, he just wants to really be able to like more efficiently use the people that he still owns, which is accurate. The socialists are not misreading this situation. They're like, well, he's not, he's not trying to make anything better. He's just trying to make the country work better for the shit that the rich people want to do, you know? Um, Fair. Which is true. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing, but like if I was in that position, I'd be like, yeah, I would like to also solidify my power and prevent myself from being murdered. Yeah. 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 And they, they, they fundamentally like see through what he's doing. He also adds a bunch of capitalistic elements to the Russian economy, which hadn't really been in place before. That's how he wants to like fund the reformation of the military. He's trying to make the state more efficient economically. This also pisses off the Marxists for, you know, obvious reasons. They're not, not huge on capitalism, the Marxists. This is surprising to a lot of people. What? Now, <laughs> hold, <yeah>. hold the phone. <laughs> yeah. Bold statements about ideology being in made on behind world? the bastards. <laughs> I got to get state a re- communist. I, I need a refund yeah. on my education because that is yeah. not what I remember. So on April 4th, 1866, a guy named Dmitry Karakozov attempts to shoot Alexander II in the middle of the capital, uh, St. Petersburg. Uh, he's a socialist, obviously. He misses uh, and is arrested and executed. Um, and this is a huge moment in Russian history. And I want to quote now from the English Historic Review. Russian emperors were no strangers to attempts on their life. Indeed, Paul I had been strangled to death in his own bedroom in 1801. But Paul had been murdered by a group of noblemen, and these palace coups had been the principal threat to the czars before mid-19th century. Karakozov's assassination attempt was the first occasion in which an ordinary Russian had tried to kill the monarch, motivated by a desire to bring down the Russian regime. So that's a big moment, right? Suddenly, there's forces, in part maybe because, like, we uh we we freed us some motherfucking serfs. Now the people are going to play an increasing role in like bad shit happening to czars. I would like to add. They said ordinary Russian. <laughs> he was extraordinary. He was extraordinary. Not quite extraordinary enough. But no, no, his aim wasn't extraordinary. His name was aim was not extraordinary. But his 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 go get itness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, I really I really admire the way he tried to shoot the czar to death. <laughs> his gumption. You know yeah. that's. that's you can't you can't teach that you know Mm-mm, no you can't teach heart yeah you can't teach heart that's the key he would have been an incredible baseball player so this brings us to may 6th 1868 when nikolai ii alexandrovich romanov was born in the alexander palace south of saint petersburg he was the first child of the crown prince or Zarevich alexander alexandrovich and his wife prince De- or princess dagmar of denmark um which brings up an interesting point the czars of all russia were not really russian uh, <laughs> not like by blood you know i mean um, that's yeah royalty kind of that's how it works right how many how many how many english uh monarchs were french you know yeah i mean queen victoria is the grandmother of all of the uh, the crowned heads of europe in world war ii you know right like what are you gonna um, do 
Yeah. Uh, Edward Rosinski in his book, The Last Tsar, explains, as a result of countless dynastic marriages, by the 20th century, scarcely any Russian blood flowed in the veins of the Russian Romanov czars. Nicholas's mother was the Danish princess, his grandmother the Danish queen. He called his grandmother the mother-in-law of all Europe. Her numerous daughters, sons, and grandchildren had allied nearly all the royal houses, uniting the continent in this entertaining manner from England to Greece. So... This is a very incestuous family, which will, will, there will be some issues for that for Nicholas II later on here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, there's going to be some problems when you interbreed <laughs> that much. Yeah, like maybe look- just being like the guy who gets all of the power and owns everybody is a complete roll of the dice based on the same family marrying each other off to other members of their family for forever. Maybe not the best system. Legitimately, one of my favorite things to teach about was the Habsburgs. Oh god! Because I was just Asper like, look how chin. ugly these motherfuckers were. I'm like, look at this. They yeah. had they had jowls. It's a whole family of <laughs> of of emperors with jowls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're all married to their first cousins. Yeah, um, they're interbred and great. have been for forever, and that's not great for anybody, um, especially Europe. <laughs> it's it ends really bad for like what eighteen million young men, <laughs> roughly. Yeah. <laughs> but what are, you, what, are you gonna, what are we gonna apologize for that yeah ah yeah you know at least there's less traffic you know think about how bad the traffic would be in london if there hadn't have been a world war one I. I mean was people there, don't think about that the m1's already a mess i was gonna say how much traffic was in world war one was there like nine cars well a couple of million boys less worth of it <laughs> there after the end of it <laughs> so for a while in the in the in the the Zarevich's household nicholas's dad's household the crown prince's household uh things are pretty good nicholas comes from a rare happy royal home so this isn't something that starts with him his parents like really genuinely loved each other which is again very uncommon with like most royal marriages like they have separate castles they don't talk to each other outside of like dealing with the kids and stuff um it's pretty abnormal for like his dad and his mom though love each other and that's probably why he winds up marrying for love later in life too right is he like this is how he's raised he's not raised with like well you're just your 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 partner is whoever is your partner and you see them when you have to make an heir how bummed would they be to look at divorce rates now and they're like <laughs> what was it uh, you guys were arranged to be married yeah. that way and be like no we we did it for, for no love. this was all we us for yeah. love. <laughs> turns out we're just bad at it <laughs> yeah it turns out we just don't know what that word means at all marriage is pretty hard actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah man when you're not living in a giant palace with 17 pounds of mm-hmm. diamonds just hanging around you at the mm-hmm. willy-nilly things get rough yeah let me give you advice on marriage. First, be owner of one sixth of world. Yeah, yeah. Helps uh, a lot. <laughs> eat only finest non-poisoned meats and cheeses. <laughs> <laughs> so uh his family's real happy uh his father was faithful to his mother which everyone at the time found really shocking because when he was when he was a kid he was a real horn dog like most crown princes he's fucking his way across russia but then as far as we know he meets his wife and he's that that that's it for him um so he actually is i don't know you know it's like learning about a monogamous baseball player you're like <laughs> what <laughs> yeah or a professional cyclist who isn't on a shitload of drugs yeah and you're like no Mm-mm. no that's not right yeah now the first years of nicholas's life very very happy he has a bunch of siblings they spend a lot of time playing outdoors at various vacation palaces with their dad diary entries from nicholas's youth that he writes contains passages like this papa turned on the hose then we ran through the jet and got terribly wet 
<laughs> that's the height of technology. Yeah, they had well, hoses and they were very uh, excited. Yeah, like that. That's like having a PS5. Yeah, at that the hose. Time. A hose? Are you Have you heard me? about the new Hose 4? It's all out of stock, but I've got one on pre-order and, and when yep. it comes in, we ordered one from Ga- uh, Hose Stop. <laughs> we got the pre-ordering. <laughs> you can put hand over in and it makes different shapes. Oh yes, he got he got little adapter that makes it look like a fan coming out. It's great. It's great. <laughs> so, um Nikki's dad pretty loving, definitely kind of your best case scenario royal uh, upbringing. That said, he's also a czar. He's a very strict guy. Nicholas wrote that his dad could not tolerate weakness. Um but he also was never physically abusive that we know. Um the the kind of most aggressive story we get from his dad as a as a parent is one time when nicholas let a playmate take the blame for something bad that he'd done his father yelled you're a girly at him um so that's like the extent to which this guy gets punished as a kid really this guy is a better dad than like yeah. most of us had <laughs> yeah <laughs> like this bad. guy wasn't beating his kids in the 1870s yeah that is wild to me yeah yeah, so n- nailing it as a parent, Alexander II. Well, um, spare the rod. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Spare the child, rod, though. but also kill a shitload of peasants. Like, not don't spare the rod on the peasants. Spare yeah, the rod spare the on rod your for own the child, son. so you can yeah. use more of the rod on the peasants. Yeah, spare the rod on your child, so they can learn how to use the rod on large, indistinct to them masses of of civilians. Yeah, and um, for the civilians, you spare the hose. Yeah, so don't no, they don't get they don't get hoses. Kid. Yeah, no hose. Uh, so uh, while the, his kids played, um, and while Alexander II is enjoying being the crown prince, revolutionary discontent is building in Russia. One group called the People's Will, who are like nihilists. Um, so there's definitely there's a number of influences they have, but they're like Russian nihilists. That's just um, being Russian. Yeah, that is just <laughs> like being just, Russian. <laughs> um, that's not they, not a big stretch. And they're, I think, broadly speaking, people who are super into Russian politics will be screaming at me for for narrowing it down this way, I'm sure. But like they spent a bunch of time early on as an organization trying to organize and radicalize peasants to revolt. Um, and eventually we're like, well, this is hopeless. We're never going to get these people to revolt. We're never going to overthrow the system that way. So let's just murder the czar. And maybe that will send the whole t- system into a tailspin and we'll get what we want that way. And if we don't, fuck it. At least we killed a czar, right? Like you get the sense that like more than anything, thing they're just like fuck this guy let's kill him you know yeah there's a very slot machine vibe to that where it's yeah. like you know like what's we'll their acceleration that down. Maybe something you know? will happen we we have these folks today right um these people i think it's more understandable because again if somebody if somebody makes you their property i think it's fine to try to to try to kill them you know like Fair. it's the slave thing if, if you're if somebody makes you their slave and you can kill them well, okay, good. <laughs> oh, you should Amistad that shit immediately. Any yeah, opportunity yeah. you have to do that, you absolutely should. Yeah, um, and they try a bunch of times, seven times unsuccessfully to kill Alexander II. And he survives, I think, like 20-something assassination attempts. Lots of people are trying to kill the, the liberator, you know? Like, they, people cannot try enough to kill this guy. Yeah, my and God, he is just he's unkillable. He's pretty well, hard. Well, not quite, but he's pretty hard to kill. You got to give him credit for that. Yeah. So he survived he's seven, 27 for 28, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. That's good a pretty numbers. good. Um, 
So he survives like seven assassination attempts from people's will alone, and he executes 21 of their members as a result of like, you know, people fail and they get captured and whatnot. Um, but, you know, the, the people's will, despite like the intense death toll taken on their organization from these failed attempts, they were the kind of folks who took Bakunin seriously when he said the revolutionary is a doomed man. Their attitude is like, we're all already dead. Like, so fuck it. We're going to keep trying. God, this is so Russian. It's very it, Russian. It's, it's so, also pretty IRA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a, with a, with like a dollop of Sylvia Plath in there. Yeah, a little like, bit of that. You need the poetry. A little of, bit of that bell of jar your, up in there. Yeah, yeah your fatalism <laughs> needs to exist in a long term situation. Yeah. Put some fertilizer in the bell jar and huck it at a czar. <laughs> I remember, dude. I remember being in like in like tenth grade, and we read like a day in the life of Ivan Davinovich or whatever. Mm-hmm. And while I was reading this, I was like, why are you making us do this? Like, I was so I was so hurt that they made they subjected me to something like that. Oh, yeah. I need to read more Russian literature. Um, I did. I did read that that one poem about the the Turk and the Russian uh, Ivan Petrovsky Skovar. Pretty good poem about a Turk and a Russian killing each other. Um, Classic. Check it out. I read it on the back of a beer. Try trying to find like good Russian literature that isn't about somebody with a gun. Mm -hmm. Hard to find. It's like trying to find Irish literature that doesn't start with a man masturbating through his a hole in his pocket. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then and then eventually dying of liver failure. Yes. So um, these guys keep right on their stick to itiveness and trying to kill the czar is is laudable. And on March 1st, 1881, they get it right. Uh, They throw a bunch of bombs. This is they kill a lot of people as a general rule. Not a lot of like, you know, you're not discriminating when you're trying to assassinate a head of state with a bomb. You're accepting that, like, we're going to kill a shitload of folks. You know, like we're setting off. It's like Stalin robbing banks and killing 70 people with bombs. It's just like how things are back then. It's horrible. It's fucked up. Um, Collateral damage. Yeah. But yeah, it's terrorism. You know, that's how it works. People set off a lot of bombs, kill a shitload of people. It's all pretty ugly. That's um, how you get things done they do in this case they uh he they they set off one bomb and like the czar alexander gets out of his like carriage to be like what what the hell is going on and then they blow his legs like to pieces um so it's like a gnarly death he doesn't die immediately his legs are just like shredded uh the whole royal family including 13 year old nicholas who had been ice skating at the time are like rushed away from ice skating to like see their grandpa bleed to death from a bomb wound um and again, even though these people are like the most privileged folks at the time, it's an ugly period. They have a like they see some shit as kids. You That's know, very Russian. I know <laughs> yeah. we're going to keep going back to that. Well, but yeah, it is no, extremely like, Russian. Yeah, no, you must see this. Yeah, so Nicholas watches his grandpa bleed to death after he receives last communion, um, and then his dad becomes the czar, because, you know, that's how czarism works. Uh, Nicholas's dad is Alexander III, um, and he pretty immediately decides he's going to be a real different kind of czar from his father. Uh, from and, the and father be- that he watched explode? That he watched explode. So he sees yeah. his father pass all Weird. these liberalizing reforms and then get exploded. And he's like, well, that doesn't seem like the right way to go. <laughs> I don't want I don't want that specific you know thing. I don't want to explode. Like, <laughs> looks like I'm, a bad deal. I'm probably going to die, but I'd rather get strangled in my bed than have mm-hmm. my legs blown off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, two months after his dad's assassination, he issues what's called the Manifesto on Unshakable Authority, uh, which is co-written by one of the heads of the Russian Orthodox Church. 
Now, this manifesto said, in short, that Alexander the Liberator had been wrong to push for more liberal attitudes rather than what Alexander III called unshakable autocracy. Alexander III argued that unshakable autocracy wasn't just a good form of government, but it was what God commanded. Uh, it was their sacred duty as the chosen of the Lord to rule Russia this way. So he cancels a plan right before getting killed. His father had like agreed to create a legislative assembly, a Duma for Russia for the first time. Like they were going to, okay, we're going to have like a Congress basically <laughs> that people have some representation. And Alexander the third is like, Oh, that's not fucking happening. Absolutely not. Um, big and yet on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Big old, big old N Y E T right on that one. A couple of backwards punctuation points and we're good to go. Um, So instead, he launches a huge crackdown, and I'm going to quote from the Romanovs here. Troops were deployed to restore order, and in September, Alexander signed emergency laws to preserve state security, followed in May 1882 by temporary regulations on Jews, which banned pogroms, but were more concerned with protecting the interests of the local populace by banning Jews from living in the countryside or outside the Pale. The Pale of Settlement is the area in Russia you're allowed to live as a Jew. Which... Uh, that's yeah. really interesting that he's banning pogroms while also being like, but also you can't like be here. Yeah. Like that's, that is in of itself a pogrom. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like no pogroms, but all of these people have to leave immediately. Yeah. Don't kill them though, but I'm not going to do anything yeah. to stop this. And it, like, it there is... are pogroms, right? There's a, there's a wave of violence against Jews because they get, they get blamed for this. Jewish people do represent a higher percentage of revolutionary organizations than of the general population. Gee, uh, I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder as they're forced on, on yeah. several diasporas out of Russia. And there's some amazing moments. One of Nicholas the seconds we're, we're going forward in time by decades, but one of his advisors, like his prime minister at one point is like, motherfucker, if I were a Jew, I'd be throwing bombs too. It's rough for them out there. You've made a bad situation for them. Um, and boy, howdy, Alexander the third is, is not a good czar for Jewish people. Um, Tales all this time on that one. Yeah, it's not like there's a lot of great ones. And people around Alexander III note that he also kind of goes mad with power immediately. Uh, And I'm going to quote from Simon Montfiore here. When a female political prisoner insulted a gendarme, Alexander ordered flog her. His minister asked for a lesser sentence than the maximum hundred strokes since she was fragile, but the czar insisted, give her the hundred strokes. They killed her. He is not wicked, wrote the diplomat Vladimir Lambsdorff, but he's drunk with power. His war minister, General Vanofsky, joked that he was like Peter the Great with his cudgel, except here is only the cudgel without the great Peter. Alexander's contempt for his own ministers was a futile attitude in the modern world. In his reverence for his autocracy, he failed to see that his own arbitrariness was a flaw. Sire, explained one of his advisors, we have a terrible evil, lack of law. But I always stand for compliance with the laws, the Tsar replied. I'm not talking about you, but about your administration, which abuses its power. Today, Russia is like a colossal boiler in which pressure is building. When it gets a hole, people with hammers rivet them. But one day, the gases will blow out a hole that can't be filled and will suffocate. And will explode your goddamn legs off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Did you not watch what happened to your dad? (laughs) I I love that. He's like, I don't think you understand what happened to your father. The way Alexander the Third sees it is like, well, yeah, because he tried to liberalize shit. That's why you got to be consistently a dick. I don't know, man. If I was born with a target on my head, mm-hmm. I'd be I'd be trying to be cool as hell. Let me translate this in a way I think will make sense to our male listeners, at least. You know how a lot of times you pretend to not know how to do things because then it'll get done for you, like making oh boy, do you know, I. 
Oh boy, do I. Yeah, exactly. It's like that, but it's with murdering people. Where if you if you just boy, don't do let I. people know that you can be nice, then maybe they won't fuck with you. That's Alexander the Third's idea. So if he looks very angry. Furious. Are you mad about the murdering part? <laughs> no. <laughs> or the fact that I need help cleaning my room. Yeah. Yeah. I could use some help cleaning my room. So in 1882, Nicholas gets a gift from his mother, a golden-edged book of souvenirs bound with wood. This became his first diary, and for the remainder of his life, he would make daily entries in it. For example, began writing in my diary on the 1st of January, 1882. In the morning, drank hot chocolate, dressed in my lifeguard reserves uniform, took a walk in the garden with Papa. We chopped and sawed wood and made a great bonfire, went to bed at about half past nine. Papa, Mama, and I received two deputations, presented me with a magnificent wooden platter inscribed the peasants of Verona's and their, uh, to their Zarevich with bread and salt and a Russian towel. That's like his diary entries. Yeah. I would like to add that uh, hot chocolate cost a thousand dollars back then. Yes, yes, this is this is they had to, they they had to just straight up shoot four people to Literally, afford that chocolate. Hot chocolate was the thing that stuck out in that entire thing to me. I yeah. was like, you know, that's nice that you got some mm-hmm. hot chocolate, dude. Yeah, I mean, he owns more of the world than anyone else pretty much ever has. I mean, maybe one of the cons, you know. So it was Which the kind at of, one point owned Russia. <laughs> yeah, and also the cons devolved a lot more power to local areas and shit than the czars did. Well, they were the mob. Yeah. Yeah, they were pretty dope. So it was the kind of idyllic childhood for Nicholas that you only get when your father owns like most of the inhabited world or a big chunk it, of it. It's so uh, wild too. But when you think about that, like hot chocolate, like no peasant has ever had ever had hot chocolate and they never would. They would live yeah. their life dying without ever tasting anything sweet. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we think well, about like, probably we just, like some weird sweet thing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A date. That's yeah. What they, that's, but then we think about I could just go over to my cabinet mm-hmm. and eat like a czar. Mm hmm. In mm-hmm. 2022, that's so goddamn wild. Yeah, yeah. We you 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 probably eat a lot better than a czar because Russian cooking. I don't know. There's some great Russian meals, but hit or miss on some things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't need stroganoff to get me through the day. I'll, I'll have some yeah, eggs. Exactly. <laughs> I I do eat sort of like in a medieval way. Like I eat a lot of eggs. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. medieval. Or mm-hmm. it's just like, and then I had nine eggs. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I remember that's... I had a fascinating story. I interviewed a guy who he, he had he'd been the Hitler youth as a kid. He was 14 when World War Two ended. And so he like grew up in, uh, you know, this this Germany that still had shades of the uh, of the imperial Germany to it. And his family was Prussian. And it, his big memory was that, like, they didn't have enough money for everybody to have eggs. So every morning during breakfast, they would get, you know, what stuff they got. And they would all sit around to watch their father eat a single egg because that was like the way that you did it. Right. Like it was, of course, the father's going to get the egg. He has to go out and like, you know, make things happen for the family. And everyone would watch in awe as he ate the single egg every morning. <laughs> It's like watching people play video games on YouTube. I'm always yeah. like, what are you doing? Don't you want to play the game? Mm-mm. No, we just want to see. I, there's so few eggs that we have access to. We just want I, to I watch it. It's and like then I'll, just, I'll just go to a farmer's market and then buy a dozen eggs and then eat a dozen eggs. Mm-hmm. It's like how like back in the 40s and stuff, like people used to send around pineapples while they were ripening and like put them out at parties and like brag that like we have a pineapple and eventually we're going to get to eat it. But until then, look at this pineapple, you know, like. The- do you ever hear the story of Louis the Fourteenth and the pineapple? No. When they introduced the pineapple to him, and sparing what actually he was portrayed in artistically, he he did not look like what the pictures did. 
he was a, a very uh, corpulent man and he was a, a relatively greedy eater mm-hmm. and somebody presented him with a pineapple and he didn't know what it was so he tried to eat it like like whole like an apple and just <laughs> shredded the shit out of his mouth got embarrassed and then what like stupid oh ass like god and then he like banned pineapples from yeah. france because he was a stupid asshole about it look there's some shit that like Incredible. i can knock down to like oh yeah if you if you're not instructed on how to eat certain things it's confusing but a pineapple's not that like you look at a pineapple and you're like well i should probably cut into this like yeah, this doesn't look like a bite into fruit. <laughs> I forget who did the tweet, but somebody talked about how like pineapple is the most metal food on the planet because it just like it dissolves your tongue when you eat it, mm-hmm. and it's covered in like thick bark. Covered God, I love in spikes. a good pineapple. Now you're making like, me fiend for pineapple. Yeah, and the leaves are sharp. Even the leaves mm-hmm. are violent on a pineapple. Can fall down and kill you like a coconut. It is well, good. Aren't, aren't, don't they grow on um like bushes? Mm-hmm. Coconut bushes? Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking of iguanas. So, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he, the czar has a pretty great childhood, uh, all things considered. One of the few things that's kind of traumatic for him as a kid is that he realizes his parents prefer his brother Georgie to him. His younger brother is like the favorite. Um And he, like, acknowledges as a kid, like, they don't really love me. They love my brother. Not in a way that, like, they're shitty to him, because he's the oldest one. He's going to be the czar. They just think Georgie's a better kid. And also, he is. Like, Georgie's way smarter. Like, Nicholas sucks. (laughs) That happens. Georgie will become, like, the guy who's a a voice of reason um, a lot. Do you have a sibling? Yes. Who's better? Oh, I mean, geez. He might listen to this podcast. um, But clearly me, right? obviously yeah, if he's yeah. listening to your podcast yeah absolutely right he doesn't have a fucking podcast Robert. just has you know a good uh hasn't gone and traumatized himself for very little reason in random parts of the world you know like a like a jerk <laughs> it's like why don't you go to war <laughs> yeah yes anyway um no he's 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 a much better person than me um yeah, see that's that's the thing is like there's all there always is a sibling that's a better person for sure. And in this case, it's Georgie. Um, and, and Nicholas knows this. And in the Romanovs, Simon Montfiore claims his adolescent insight did not make him mean, sullen or less obedient. He simply became reticent. So he, he kind of becomes like hesitant, like he doesn't like to make decisions or like calls because he I think he just kind of feels insecure. He doesn't want to like push anything that'll make somebody not like him, which is a problem when you're about to own all of Russia. Right. You should really need to be decisive. Um, as we've talked about, it's one of the things that's stops you from getting murdered. So the new czar, Alexander III, Nicholas's dad, picks a tutor for his son, a guy named, oh boy, Pobedonostev. Pobedonostev? Like, come on, people. You expect me to get all these Russian names right? I can't get English town come names right. Come on, Russians. Right. Be American. Yeah. We're going to call him Popo, okay? So Popo is a traditionalist, and he's such a traditionalist that he would have been a fascist in a different country in time. Um, he lectured young Nicholas about how foolish his grandfather's reforms would be. Um, his argument to Nicholas was that Russia was unique, special, and stuff like a free press would lead to inevitable collapse. Like, other countries can maybe handle this but not russia we're just not we're very different we're different kinds of people well they um they viewed themselves as as rome yeah 
yeah, as the uh, as the as the heirs to the Roman Empire, as the third Rome. Yeah. Um, now, one of his other tutors, one of Nicholas's other tutors, didn't feel the need to actually educate him. You know, this is the guy who's supposed to be teaching him because he believed, quote, mysterious forces emanating during the sacrament of coronation provided all the practical data required by a ruler. Well, we teach this kid about the world. God's going to tell him how to do his yeah. job. He's going to get a ghost <laughs> learning. <laughs> that's not everybody other tutors of his have a more realistic view of education um but none have a lot of luck teaching nikki things he's immature he's not particularly keen to learn uh popo noted that during one of history lesson quote i could only observe that he was completely absorbed picking his nose um which is a fine normal kid thing to do right but also not a great sign when you're gonna rule the world and maybe why people shouldn't rule one-sixth of the world as their personal property I mean, you know what? That might be just like one time and this yeah. guy's just like dwelling on it and he might have had something like <laughs> it's, it's there for his in history forever. Yeah, like we're talking about it <laughs> mm-hmm. like 150 years later. It is pr- pretty funny. <laughs> it's just like one time this kid had like a little crunchy in there that yeah. he had to work his way out. Oh god. It is really you know funny who else that. picks their nose. Jeff. I, I I know where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited that that's the segue that you're using. Mm-hmm. It's the Washington State Highway Patrol and probably. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. And we're back. Ugh. Look Good at that. ads. Good Look ads. I picked my ads. nose the whole time. I know. I know. It was, it was unsettling. Very satisfying, um, though. Yeah, it did seem good. So as an adolescent, Nicholas joins the army, but he joins the army the way that like czar kids join the army. This doesn't mean like he's not doing like push-ups in the mud or anything. Basically, as a teenager, he gets to he becomes a member of the lifeguards, which is the special military unit dedicated to the royal family. Uh, when he joins the cadet corps for training, his textbook included this line that gives you an idea of how the Russian military saw itself. Russia as a state is neither commercial nor agricultural, but military, and its calling is to be the wrath of the world parentheses pretend we did not get our asses kicked like 14 years like immediately yesterday basically (laughs) i mean though that is russia's history like the crimean war is kind of weird because like they lose and then lose as opposed to most of russian military history is they lose they lose they lose they lose they win (laughs) yeah it's it's a long game what it is is the russians know that they can outlast a battle of attrition Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they're just like they will just throw bodies mm-hmm. at whatever a problem is. Oh, Germany is invading. We have empty spaces bigger than Germany. <laughs> Not the yeah. problem. Yeah. How many lives will it cost us? Deal. <laughs> yeah. So in his biography, The Last Czar, Radzinski r- explains, quote, the army meant obedience and diligence above all else. Both these qualities, which the shy youth already possessed, the army would foster ruinously. So Nicholas is instantly put in charge of half a company worth of men. But this was fine because the unit's only real duties were marching and working out. His regimental boss was the Grand Duke Sergei Alexandrovich, who's his his uncle, so his dad's brother. That's um, the most Russian-ass name I've ever heard. Serg- and Sergei is a Russian motherfucker. He is brutal. He loves him some pogroms. He loves him some cracking down violently on uh, on on socialists. Uh, he's hugely religious, and he is also very gay. So he hates himself and everything around him because he has these urges that he thinks are sinful, and because he's in the he's leading the lifeguards, like which is this fundamentally like pretty gay unit. It's this closed military tradition where like. Radzinski writes that the unit quote encouraged pederasty and heavy drinking right like all these dudes are fucking and getting wasted all the time and then Sergei gets really angry because he's super religious and thinks that's wrong but it's also how he spends all his time so he's just kind of this very angry violent man with a lot of power and a lot of repressed issues Mike Pence energy there (laughs) real Mike Pence energy yeah it's bad it's a problem the crown prince Sergei becomes an issue um now, since Nicholas was the crown prince uh, and was straight, he probably was not exposed to a lot of like the horniness within the lifeguards, right? I don't think he was involved. I think they probably were like, well, we don't want we don't want the Zarevich to see. That's probably not like something to do around him. I, I mean, yeah. it's, there certainly is like, but th- there's there's a difference between sexual preference, mm-hmm. yes, being gay and and like that sort of like 
military or prison we're in the military we're all these men kept together people have this need for intimacy yeah it it definitely is one of those things where like the the fact that sexuality is a spectrum is very common in all male locations where Mm -hmm. you know there aren't the options for that people explore that sexuality a lot more willingly yeah this is not a unique kind of military formation in history this shit happens all the time (laughs) i forget what their names it wasn't the spartans but it was somebody like the spartans oh it was the sacred band of thebes where they were like explicitly all all right in like in homosexual like relationships it was like 150 couples and the idea was like well nobody's gonna like run and abandon their romantic partner on the battlefield exactly and they were were, like fighting for a while yeah, for a while until the yeah. till the Macedonians came around, you know, <laughs> you get your your Philip and your Alexander and that doesn't that breaks up eventually. But like, yeah, they had a pretty really good combat record. Yeah. Um, so uh, Nicholas probably is not exposed to the horniness, um, but he definitely took part in the drinking, as this quote from his diary makes clear. Yesterday during training, we drank one hundred and twenty five bottles of champagne. I was sentry for the division at <laughs> I took my squadron out on the battlefield at five an inspection of military institutes under a pouring rain. So he then gets drunk with the boys that night and he wrote this unintentionally hilarious line, woke up and felt as if a squadron had spent the night in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he did a little gay stuff maybe he did know a little thing, a thing or two. Um, yeah i don't think that's what he means you don't know you know i think he very, means it tastes the, my mouth tastes like a bunch of horses shit in it <laughs> yeah or, or a whole squadron of dongs you mm-hmm. never know mm-hmm. the, the language remember you're, you're interpreting from I'm, from the language you are and i am certain there's some really horny czar nicholas and duke sergey fan fiction out there and more would, power to you I would also like to add how funny it is um, that it, like it was champagne. Yeah. And I know obviously like alcohol That's is like different what everywhere. That's like they drink. Yeah. But like I expected it to be vodka and then no. it's like champagne. And I'm like, man, could you imagine that like from somebody? Oh, God. In, like, sh- Desert Storm in like 1992. Yeah. Being like, Dallin, we got fucked up on like four <laughs> cases of champagne. And I swear to fucking God, I woke up and in my mouth tasted like pound and brute in the Bradley. It tasted yeah. like a whole group of Marines that spent the night in my teeth. <laughs> I went to fucking town and I swear to God, I got married last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Grand Duke Sergei was responsible for picking the drinking games, and he was really good at this for all of his other shortcomings. Uh, his favorites were elbows, in which a glass the length of a forearm would be filled and drank in one gulp. The staircase, which involved lining a staircase with drinks and pounding them one step at a time until you passed out drunk. And then there was Till the Wolves, in which all of the men would strip naked as a group, run into the frozen outdoors where a servant would bring them a tub of champagne that they would all drink naked together in the freezing cold. That game sucks. <laughs> that does sound like a shitty drinking that game. That game sucks. I'd be like, can we just play drink the beer? Sergey, because he's got this religious conflict, is really angry all the time. Like, he'll have these nights of indulgence and then he'll just be, like, furious at the world and then he'll suggest that his brother or his nephew do a bunch of violent things. Uh, whereas Nicholas is like, pretty even tempered i think for most of his life um so i just i don't think he's like i don't think he's repressing anything um it doesn't yeah. seem like it he seems he's to be not pretty like self-flagellating guy. after doing no. something he regrets yeah yeah i i don't I, that it just doesn't seem likely that that was like a thing he grappled with um 
Yeah. Now, Nicholas drank definitely. He does not seem to have had a problem. Uh, his father did and it became more of an issue as the czar got older. Alexander III had a habit of getting wasted with his friends and according to one witness, quote, would lay on his back and waved his arms and legs about, behaving like a child, trying to get to his feet and then falling down, grabbing the legs of anyone who walked past. And again, this man owns a sixth of the world. So what do you do when he's, he's like a, that drunk? You dude, know, he's just a good time and son of a bitch. <laughs> mm hmm. I would be I would be stoked if you yeah. were like if if somebody told me that Trump sometimes would have his buddies over they would get fucked up and just collapse on the ground and just like wail around grabbing at people's legs and stuff I'd be like well at least that's kind of cool yeah that's fun yeah that's, that's a fun. human that's a, thing he did it's a fun time and thing you know mm-hmm. yeah get that way yeah I get that wasted pretty regularly um so his binges started to cause health problems by the 1880s uh, and his doctors forbade him from drinking. Um, he, But also you can't really stop the emperor of Russia from like doing stuff he wants to. Um, so his wife like keeps enough of a watch on him that he has to hide it. So Alexander III orders jackboots made with special compartments that hold flasks loud, large enough to fit a whole bottle of cognac. So these must have been big shoes. He looks like Kiss. Just walking yeah, around I think with he these does. His fucking shoes holding a whole bottle of cognac. <laughs> yeah, just, could you um, imagine like uh we have a question about this uh about this uh, this memo you sent out here? Do you really want a eight foot platform heels? <laughs> yes, hollow. Very hollow. With like, a tube is, coming out of them. He's trying to s- sneak wine into like a baseball game or some shit. Yeah, and they'll do this like the czar and his friends whenever like they're at state functions, like his wife will step out of the room and they'll be like, all right, everybody drink really, really fast. Pound them down, you know, (laughs) the perfect Um, crime. Yeah. On October 17th, 1888, Nicholas II has his first close brush with death. He's on the royal train with his father and family when it has a wreck outside of Kharkov in modern Ukraine. And it has a wreck because his dad is drunk and is telling like the uh, the guy who's in charge of the railway, the director of the railway, this dude named Sergei Witt. Um, he's like, make it go faster, make it go faster. And Sergei's like, we're already going as fast as he can. And the czar is like, what are you, a Jew? Make it go faster. And then it crashes. <laughs> it's so russian very russian very what a, racist what, very what a russian. great goad to yeah. get, he's like the guy's just like you know this is train yeah this is, no gas we'll be if corner comes yeah. i don't know if you know this one railway <laughs> very little steering can do here uh, i don't know if Nikki, you remember but this railway relatively new we had to build this yeah because we are russia we we're not great war. at these yet <laughs> and Nikki later wrote in his diary, writes in his diary of this train crash. And this is fun. This gives you some insight into how he grows up viewing the lives of other humans who aren't royals. A fateful day for us all. We might all have been killed, but by the Lord's will, we were not. During breakfast, our train jumped the rails. The dining car and coach were demolished, but we emerged from it all unscathed. However, 20 people were killed and 16 injured. <laughs> kind of burying the lead on that one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 20 people die and he's like thank god everyone who matters is fine it really is like oh you deserve to die for Mm -hmm. having that mentality for your whole life yeah that that is his entire life and it's also worth noting that like 20 people die because his dad is drunk and like make it go faster (laughs) yeah this is uh what what, what is it suffering from affluenza Mm -hmm. yeah they have it pretty hard in in the romanov family 
So this accident brings Sergei Witt, the director of the railway, into Romanov orbit. After the crash, Witt gets promoted to run the railways for the whole empire. Then Alexander III decides to make him communications minister. Before he hands him that job, he asks, are you a friend of the Jews? Because again, pretty racist guy. Uh, Now, Witt, who would go down in history as a campaigner for reforming Russia's anti-Semitic laws, answers, since we can't drown them all in the Black Sea, we should treat them as humans. So for an idea of where anti-Semitism is, this is the good guy. Yeah, that's this is the, the most... advocate for Jewish liberation being like, well, we can't drown them all, so we should treat them better. That's the most progressive thing any Russian had said. Yeah, that wasn't Jewish. He's <laughs> like, well, if we can't, well, if we can't drown them, we might. If as we well can't treat kill them, them like we the must humans. treat them okay. Yeah. <laughs> so for a heads up, pretty bad, pretty bad people in a lot of ways. Um, As both his father's son and the heir to all Russia, Nicholas II had the option to have a lot of casual sex if he really wanted to. Many young Tsareviches, including his father, were playboys, you know, in their youth. And often as an adult, too, you know. But Nicholas was a deeply religious and dedicated uh, person, and he was dedicated to waiting for love. This next story is based on the recollections of a noblewoman named Vera Yuraneva, uh, and she claims of his first, like, infatuation, quote, He adored walking. There was a rumor that he had met a beautiful Jewess on a walk, and a romance had sprung up. There was a lot of gossip about that in Petersburg, but his father acted as decisively as ever. The Jewess was sent away along with her entire household. Nicholas was in her home while all this was going on. Only over my dead body, he declared to the governor. Matters did not go as far as dead bodies, however. He was an obedient son, and eventually he was broken and taken away to his father at Anchikov Palace, and the Jewess was never seen in the capital again. So. In the capital. In the capital. Yeah, may have been. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alexander III would not have been above a little bit of murder. Yeah. Um, We've moved her to a farm upstate. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bleak. Um, so right around the same time, Uncle Sergei leads a crackdown against Jewish people living in and around the capital. And Alexander III signs off on this crackdown. Uh, in Moscow, Uncle Sergei closes the great synagogue and he sends his Cossacks to break into Jewish homes and like beat and rob people. It's a night of uh, it's a night of broken glass kind of shit, right? Um, he expels all Jewish citizens of Moscow. The only exceptions are women who would agree to register as prostitutes. That seems that's having your cake and eating it, too, guys. Come on. Yeah. Um, Well, not for him, actually. But yeah, uh, (laughs) as a as a matter of jurisprudence, I guess. Um, Jewish immigration in the United States increases to one hundred and thirty seven thousand people a year. This is like the five goes west, you know, stuff like this is this is when you start getting huge waves of Jewish people immigrating to the United States in particular. Um, Some of them do. A lot of them do like wind up further west in Europe. But like this, the, these crackdowns are what starts like why you, you start to get this like huge Jewish population in New York City and stuff. It's because a lot of people are like, it really doesn't seem like Russia is a great place to be Jewish. We might need to get the fuck out of here. There. You know what? Maybe Europe in, as a whole is probably yeah. the best place to get out of there. I don't think this is heading in a good direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm hearing some pretty rough stuff out West too. Let's, yeah. let's go to America. <laughs> let's go to America. They'll, they'll hate us without being too violent about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. 
In the early 1890s, the young Kaiser of Germany, Nicholas's cousin, uh, you know, Otto or Wilhelm, fires Otto von Bismarck, who'd been the brains of the Reich for a while and had organized a German-Russian defensive alliance. When the Kaiser sacks Bismarck, he also refuses to renew the treaty. And so Alexander III signs an alliance with France instead. Uh, the Kaiser, being an idiot, recognizes like, oh, no, I fucked up. I shouldn't have done that. Like, is immediately gonna- like, oh, this could go badly for Germany. This is going to have so- a... This is going to be rough in about 24 years. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you got to realize is all of these these royals who are like cousins are texting each other constantly. Basically, they have telegrams so they can actually like basically text with one another. And as soon as like this happens, he starts sending a bunch of like frantic telegrams to the Russian royal family, inviting them to hang out on his yacht and party with him and like trying to get back into their good books. Um, And we have cool helmets with spikes on the door. Yeah, we got these pickle halbas, baby. Check it out. Um, And uh, Alexander the third doesn't really want to hang out with Kaiser Wilhelm. Because nobody, nobody ever wants to hang out with Kaiser nope. Wilhelm. No. <laughs> um, so he picks Nikki to go do that job. He's like, hey, you're, you're going to be the, the, the czar one day. Why don't you go hang out with your weird cousin and sail around in circles with his stupid boats? Um, so that's what Nikki does a bunch of when he's a young man. Um, and for a look at how he starts coming together as a young person, I want to quote again from the Romanovs. The heir, now 24, wrote the deputy foreign minister, Lambsdorff, makes a strange impression, half boy, half man, small of stature, thin and undistinguished, yet also obstinate and thoughtless. His mother had tended to infantilize her boys. He wore his little sailor suits longer than most boys do, noted Countess Zizi Narishkina. He was a man with a small horizon and a narrow outlook, and for years had barely gone beyond the wall of the Anchikov and then Gachina Palace Gardens. Even when Nicky was a guards colonel, his mother still addressed him as, my dear Dear little soul, my boy. His diary tells of hide and seek, drinking games, and contests with conquers and fur cones well into his twenties. So he's I like, like a the little... idea of him being dressed like Donald Duck. <laughs> yeah, he's like a twenty-year-old. Yeah, it's, like a... <laughs> it's it has um it has very bluth energy there. Yeah, because like he's just gets to be this little boy forever, because nobody can ever say like Hey, maybe maybe the little sailor suits might not be the thing to be wearing to this party, 21-year-old yeah. future emperor. <laughs> so he just kind of does it, you know? He's flexing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a way you could see that as, as, as healthy. I'm going um, to add, by the way, I also mm-hmm. dress like a child, but it's more yeah. just like I wear like, oh, look, I like Spider-Man. And they're like, I only wear pajamas. 40. I get it. Yeah. So, uh, he's kind of a sweet boy. Most people will agree on that, but he's also very much like a boy rather than the kind of person suited to be the iron ruler of all the rushes. You know, like he does, he, everyone kind of notices, oh, you're not going to be hard enough for this job. Oh, the guy like, in the little sailor suit? Sailor suit. Yeah. Not, not quite tough with enough the, for this with gig. With a big lollipop and his big yeah. floppy blonde curls that he's Dutty, Dutty. Um, so he had developed his intellectual talents by this point. He's not an idiot. Uh, he's really good at learning languages. And in fact, one of the things people will notice is that his English is perfect. And he writes a lot of letters to and from his wife that are like flawless English. Um, he also falls in love with British romance novels. He spends a lot of time reading romance novels. Um, and if you were a member of the oppressed classes, kind of eyeing this guy from a scullery or whatever, you might have expected him to be like, well, when this guy gets into power, he'll be better than Alexander III, you know, the dude who's constantly cracking down on everybody. The guy, but Simon, the guy who just jumped a train. Yeah, the dude who jumped guy, a train because he was wasted. The guy who got a DUI with a train. <laughs> But as Simon Montfiore makes clear, Lil Nicky definitely took after his father. 
Uh, quote, Nicky embraced his father's Muscovite vision of the throne founded on the mystical union of czar and peasants whose devout loyalty was pure and sacred compared to the filthy decadence of Petersburg, liberal Europe and Jewish modernity. Nicholas II worshipped his imperial father, but Tsar Alexander III knew his son had no aptitude for the job awaiting him. When Witt suggested putting Nicholas on the committee organizing construction of the Trans-Siberian Railway so he could get some on-the-job experience, the Tsar responded, Have you ever tried discussing anything of consequence with his imperial highness the Grand Duke? Don't tell me you never noticed the Grand Duke is an absolute child. His opinions are utterly childish. How could he preside over such a committee? And like, that's a bad sign. If your kid is going to inherit the throne literally the instant you die and you're like, well, he can't build a railroad like dude, to be fair, I don't know if you should be uh, you're living in a pretty glass house. Yeah. Railroad stones, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe don't be also maybe don't be shitting on Nikki about railroad stuff, huh, buddy? How much did you black out that night? (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember that? You remember with the train when Mm -hmm. you killed the 20 people, all the people, the the 20 people. Yeah. So Nicholas did eventually get added to that committee in the end, but he doesn't receive a lot of training on the job from his dad. His dad's the only one who can give him this. And his dad, you kind of get the feeling his dad is just irritated by him and like doesn't want him around. So he doesn't teach him a whole lot. Um, He just kind of keeps him at arm's length. Yeah, he's an asshole, you know. Um, This might have been fine, right? Alexander's young. You know, he had time to gradually learn things and pick them up from ministers. Um, Alexander III was, like, not old, you know, when Nicky's in his 20s, and he was expected to have, like, people were generally expecting Nicholas probably wouldn't inherit the throne until he was closing on 40. Um, But that's not quite what happens. So, uh, Nicholas meets Alexandra Fyodorovna uh, when he's in his early 20s. Uh, She's a granddaughter of Queen Victoria. She's a German uh, and a Protestant. Her childhood had been rough. Her mother was depressed and constantly ill. Her brother had hemophilia, which was called the English disease because it was so common with royalty. Um, And he died from bleeding after he fell out of a window. When she was six, her mom died uh, along with her favorite sister from diphtheria. So Alexandra is always going to be kind of nervous and scared of losing everyone around her because that's how her childhood goes. Yeah, Yeah, Um, because that's what happened. Because that's what happened. Yeah, Um, that's like obviously. yeah, that's yeah. like be like, oh man, I'm afraid I'm gonna vomit because I vomit literally every day. Yeah, well, that's and she she grows into an unpleasant person, but like it it's understandable, like why she does a lot of the things she does. Her her background makes it make sense. She's just tense all the time. Yeah, she's just never okay with anything. Um, yeah, and and uh, so she's she is though kind of insufferable. She's like a lot to deal with, and all of the Romanovs except for Nicholas feel this way about her. Like he falls in love immediately, and the rest of his family's like her. Like we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, it is that kind of story. We've and there's all, other. We reasons. all know somebody that's like yeah. really into the person they're dating, and we're all just like, Ooh. okay, but like, is it like a different person? Yeah. Is she completely different every moment that we're not around? Yeah. Um, or is she like, or do you have like a different plane of existence? Is she yeah. saying different things in the quantum realm that we're not seeing here? Yeah. Is he just like hiding everything about himself when he's around us uh, and only uh, plays beer pong when he's around <laughs> us and the rest of the time he has a personality? Um, <laughs> so there's other reasons why um, Alexandra isn't popular as a choice for Nicholas's partner. For one thing, she's Protestant, right? Uh, all of the Roman you have 
to be orthodox. You know, you're, you're like the Russian Orthodox Church. It's you're the head of it as the czar. Your wife can't be a Protestant. Um, and yeah, there's other reasons. There's like weird royal bloodline reasons. I don't we need to get into. There's like a lot of reasons people are not happy with this 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 match. Um, but Nicholas is in love with this woman um, and she's in love with him. Um, but there's like a years of conflict, right? They don't get their way right away. Um, and it says a lot about how strongly he felt that he, he goes through the effort because there's like years of him trying to convince his father and his father refuses. Um, like most love struck men who can, he decides to go on a road trip to clear his head. Um, and yeah, yeah. He's like, well, I might on as well what? go traveling. Yeah. On the train. Cause they have bad luck with those trains and boats and they have bad luck on this. He and his brother, Georgie go to, I think Greece and Georgie gets tuberculosis, which eventually kills him. Um, so he has to head back home to like slowly die of TB. Um, but Nikki gets to go to Japan, uh, with his other friend and relative, the Prince of Greece. Uh, and this doesn't go great either. So they spend a really, month the in Russians Japan. usually have great luck with Japan. Nicholas, especially. <laughs> so Nikki reads mostly romance novels and just kind of walks around Nagasaki buying souvenirs while he's in Japan, um, hangs out with his cousin, the Prince of Greece. Uh, and since Prince George, this is funny, Prince George has a tattoo. And so Nikki decides to get one, too, of a dragon on his right forearm. <laughs> I like what a weeb. <laughs> he's just a little bit of a weeb, right? Goes to Japan and gets a dragon tattoo. Comes back wearing like a like a black trench coat. Yeah, talking it, to, he gets a about, katana. Yeah, why subbed are better than dubbed. It's very funny. Yeah, he gets real into anime during this period. He's hanging up wall scrolls mm-hmm. in the palace. There's there, there's there's rioters at the gates and he's building a Gundam. It's just we'll make a large working Gundam. <laughs> it will be great. Um so he's just kind of there to have a good time, you know, uh, but Japan has, I don't know if you know this about Japan, has a pretty intense right wing. Um, and they start developing all these conspiracy theories that he's secretly in Japan to spy on their weaknesses so Russia can attack. They they credit him with being a much more capable person than he is. To be fair, um, the, the Japanese... Not always stoked on outside influence in any way. Right, right. Yeah. So a lot of people are real ornery about this and they're angry. Like he doesn't, the first thing he does isn't go bow to the emperor. He like goes and does other stuff first because he's kind of on vacation. He's, he's not trying to be disrespectful. He's just like, doesn't real, it doesn't know anything about Japan, you know? Um, yeah, they weren't written of, in Brit. There's nothing about the Yamato clan in, yeah. the, uh, in English uh, romance novels. Yeah, exactly, which is all he knows. So one of these paranoid right-wingers is a cop named Sanzo, who is supposed to be one of them in guarding the future czar. And I'm going to read a quote from Japan today here. According to the July 1891 newspaper Eyewitness Account, Sanzo, quote, drew his sword and struck at the prince's neck. His royal highness, who was riding at the head of a long line of rickshaws with two coolies drawing him, jumped back as Sando cut at him, and the force of the blow was broken by his cap. However, he was cut on the head, and it is said that a small piece of the skull was chipped off. Prince George, seeing the attack from afar, jumped out of his rickshaw and ran to after Sando, striking him with his bamboo cane. It did not bring him down, but fortunately two rickshaw drivers abandoned their strollers and sprinted towards Sando. The attack, which occurred in only a few seconds, rippled across two competing nations. Nicholas suffered all his life from headaches and had been traumatized enough to ask every May 11th that the Russian public pray for his well-being. The nine-centimeter wound would be a lifelong reminder of how close to death he'd been this is like a pretty serious incident that's a um, that's an assassination attempt yeah yeah a fucking dude tries to kill him with a katana um did, and gets pretty Sando, close 
Hmm? I'm not 100% sure how that goes because, you know, 1891, it's, you're, you're looking at a sort of slight oh, He starves himself to that. death in prison. That's what I was wondering is if yep, he was yep. forced to, if he chose mm-hmm. to or forced to commit suicide. Yeah. yeah. And the, uh, the two, the two rickshaw drivers who saved the czar's life, the Japan gives them a, um, it's like $36 a month pension, which I think is, is decent at the time. Um, but Nicholas gives them like a fortune, like $2,500, like the equivalent of, of, of that much at the time in, in rubles, which is like, a fortune at 30 the time. million dollars yeah. yeah he makes them rich um so at least you do he he is someone who's capable of being like well i owe those guys i, I yeah. should probably <laughs> i should probably let it be known that you get rich if you stop a czar from getting murdered <laughs> fair instead um, of instead of we get rich yeah when the czar is murdered yeah um, so when he gets back from his 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 trip, uh, he meets a ballerina with a last name I'm not going to try to pronounce. It starts with a K. Uh, he feels deeply he falls in love with this girl. And he's really conflicted about the fact that he's still in love with Alexandra, but he's now fallen in love with this other girl. And he writes in his diary, "Would it be right to conclude from this that I am very amorous?" Which, no, dude, falling in love with two people over the course of your entire life does not make you very amorous. <laughs> I mean, it's cute, though. He loves love. Mm-hmm. What can you say about that? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's cute. Um, it's just, oh, this must mean I'm a player. I've I've fallen in love with the second person. Um, they do fuck. Uh, this is encouraged by the Romanov family. They're kind of hoping like his dad seems to be hoping like maybe this will take his mind off of, you know, encouraged while it was happening. They yeah. were all around him cheering him on. It's it's not all that far from that. Like, they're not actually in the room, but, like, everyone is, like, really setting this up for him. Um, and, yeah, uh, it doesn't stop him from being in love with Alexandra. He does eventually wear the rest of his family down, and he gets engaged to marry her. They go back to England to celebrate with the English side of the family. Queen Victoria always liked to see her grandchildren married off, and so she hosts a party uh, at one point for the, the, the new, you know, crown prince and his, his, uh, uh, his wife-to-be. Um, and she invites a rich Jewish man to the party, right? Queen Victoria. Uh-oh. Yeah. And everyone, the English relatives are like fine with this. They don't think much of it. But Nicholas is terrified of him. He won't go near him. Like it becomes obvious that he's treating him like he's got the plague and all of his English relatives make fun of him for being racist. In a letter home to his mother, Nicholas writes, I tried to keep away as much as I could and not to talk. <laughs> all right, bro. I know. Again, can't understate how racist this dude is yeah Um, i'm pretty sure he poisoned the punch bowl mm -hmm. how specifically racist because one of the weird things about him he has his entire pretty much entire time as czar he has a um a a guy who's kind of like a body assistant um almost named john hercules who is a black american man who like hangs around john hercules john herc incredible name yeah Yeah. wait (laughs) unbelievable name just gonna go right past that by the way over Mm -hmm. john seems to really like this gig you think i think he's treated well he's paid well he like goes on vacation for months every year and like comes back with jam for the royal family that like they can't get in russia um there's rumors that like after the monarchy falls he like spends the rest of his life dressed in like a fading like household uniform wandering around moscow like i don't know seems to be like a a pretty good situation for him until everything falls apart so one of the main parts of this person's job was to deliver jam 
No, that wasn't his job. That was it's just what he did. He it's would go back. To, he would go back to the U.S. for like vacation to see his family, and he would bring back guava jam because all of like the royal kids loved it. And he yeah. he was like part of the household, so he I like that he cared jam. about the kids, and he wanted to bring him jam. You know, hopefully it wasn't that jam from the FDA episode you guys. Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Ew. I would uh, think you would you would be very careful about your jam buying if you're purchasing for the Zars kids. Yeah. <laughs> um so Nikki and family get back from England um and the emperor pretty much immediately his dad gets sick. Um probably all the drinking didn't help. It's a kidney infection. Jam um, poisoning. Jam poisoning. He gets jammed. Oh, he got jammed up. Uh, yeah, yeah. We figured it out. Mhm. Um, I don't think John Hercules was in the picture at this point. Again, <laughs> outstanding name. Fantastic. Um, so uh, Alexander III dies on November 9th, 1894 at the age of 49. Uh, Nicholas was there, as was his cousin Sandro, who later recalled, He took me by the arm and led me downstairs to his room. We embraced and cried together. Then he exclaimed, Sandro, what am I going to do? What's going to happen to me, to you, to Xenia, to Alex, to mother, to all of Russia? I'm not ready to be czar. I never wanted to become one. I've no idea of even how to talk to the ministers. So, That's not a good sign. Not a great sign. Uh, and again, Simon Montfiore notes that like it's pretty normal for you to freak out when you're about to become the czar, which does make sense, right? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> not for but, me. But uh, Nikki is convinced from the beginning that like I'm not going to be a good czar, and by God, he's right. Might be the only time, but he is Nailed right. <laughs> he's going to suck at this. <laughs> uh, and that story's coming. But you know what's coming first? Your pluggables. Oh, pluggables. I thought you were I thought we were doing um sponsorships. No, 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 no. no. We're done with that. Fuck that shit. Oh. <clears throat> well, uh I don't know. You mentioned this earlier before, but I have uh cool friends and I have a podcast called Jeff Has Cool Friends. You can check that out at patreon.com slash Jeff May, where I have lots of other stuff, uh like Ugg Fine with Kim Crawl, which is a monthly show, and I got other stuff coming that's gonna be really exciting. You can also check out Tom and Jeff Watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network, as well as Unpopular Opinion and You Don't Even Like Sports both on the Unpops Network. You can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Hey There Jeff Rowe. Mm-hmm. That, that's find it. Like, Jeff, stalk him. Bring that, him into that, well, your life. Yeah. I mean, that this is a, a way better way to do it than the last time that you said my name on a podcast. Yes, uh, I, I do. Uh, <laughs> sorry for alleging that you were friends with Gil and Maxwell. I mixed you up with another Jeff. <laughs> it was so it was it was very I was funny reading to me. your Twitter at the time, but trying to think of Jeff Davis. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was so funny because one person did call me an old pedophile in my um, inbox messages, oh, which means that great. they are an early adopter of your podcast. They, they listen good. right Yeah, that, that thing was mm-hmm. only up for like an hour, and then Robert yeah, calls we fixed me. That he's, pretty like, quick. he's like, holy yeah. shit. I've made a terrible de- error. He's like, delete, <laughs> yeah. delete it immediately. We have to fix this now. <laughs> uh, we, a, shared, a shared listener contacted me. He was like, hey, I don't know if this is true or not, but you might want to look into this. Yeah, oh yeah I'm glad God. you messaged me about that one. And then I, I sent the message. I was like, hey guys, real quick. Love the show. Mm-hmm. Oh. wondering why you said that i was friends with a billionaire mm-hmm. sex pedophile yeah that, that was a mistake <laughs> um but everyone i think uh, i enjoyed uh jeff may best friends with uh momar Gaddafi. uh jeff may who was uh, daffy Gaddafi. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he was daffy all right well that's gonna do it for us now we will come back with god there's so much more czar nicholas to go um jesus christ a second nicholas the yeah. second there were too many Nikolaises. 
Nickel 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 Nicholson's. No, that's something else. Nope. Nickel's son. Nickel's sons of bitches. That's right. We got there. Bam. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.